This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. I'm Jonathan. And Ramon is present. And Jonathan, Steinhoff is basically fucked. So that means capitalism must be abolished. That, that's, that's exactly what it means, Ramon. We need to end all capitalism right now because one company out of, I don't know, probably 10 million in the world doing something bad and failing uh, proves that capitalism just doesn't work. Right. Yeah. As, as but, or you know what we could say? It wasn't real capitalism. <laughs> it wasn't actually. In my well, it's opinion, crony capitalism. Real capitalism doesn't exist in this, in this world because we can't control money. The state controls money. We can't. And Crypto, cryptocurrencies are coming around. And we have regulators. I mean, one of the things that was thrown out last week, which I tried to correct was, Oh, this is just like the 2008 banking crisis. This is why we need more regulation. Um, go do some reading. The 2008 banking crisis was partly caused by regulation. So it's, it's just it, it, the, the, the misinformation. Then you've got Dali and Porfu on Twitter saying stupid things like, uh, this is, uh, clearly shows that, uh, the corruption, corporate corruption is just as bad or worse even than uh, government corruption. Of, of course, yes. No, yeah. Stealing hundreds of billions of rands from every tax bank citizen under force yes. is the same as millionaires with 500 racehorses losing billions of dollars. A- and shareholders who choose to invest. Of course. I mean, this is the other thing. One's people a choice, are, one isn't. People are, exactly. And people are saying, well, you know, you've got uh, the pension fund invested. Yes. The first thing any financial consultant will tell you when you go to them is, are you sure you want to invest in the stock market? It's very risky. You can lose everything. That's an accepted risk. Um, you don't get a choice with the government. There is no risk, accepted risk. It's just like, hi, at the end of the you, month, please give us your tax. I don't ask you, how much would you like to pay this month, Jonathan? How much tax would you like to pay? Oh, you know what, government, I'm feeling a bit generous. I'll pay 20%. No. Well, if you're an American liberal, you do want to pay more because they had a tax cut. And not only was it the end of the world, literally that's what they were, were tweeting, um, but they also were very upset that they were going to pay less tax. I mean, based on that. I There's think- a funny website where you can actually donate more to the government. <laughs> I think based on that tax cut and the amount of, of, of just, you know, trauma it inspired, I think we should just abolish taxes. I think that's a fair argument to make at this stage. So we are abolishing capitalism and taxes? No, 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 just taxes. <laughs> no, capitalism can stay for now. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's quite astonishing, but, uh, Hopefully, Dalian Porfu will never get near any kind of real power. I just think he's salty. I bet you had quite a fair amount of his millions. Well, he took $13 million from the SABC when he left. Right. And, uh, yeah, he probably is invested in Steinhoff. I mean, chances are uh, quite good. It was one of the shares everyone was punting for several years. So, yeah, you, you're probably right. He's probably a bit salty. But uh, we don't think he'll get near power to do anything as retarded as what he tweets. And we've uh, called someone into studio today to hopefully tell us. Well, this is South Africa, mate. Never say never. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, this is this is absolutely true. Well, you're going to be hearing this a couple of days before the ANC's conference, uh, which is, in my opinion, basically South Africa's election, uh, because if the ANC wins, that's they decide this. This conference decides who's going to be our overlords for the uh, five years that follows, uh, and so we've got. Darby Skoltz in studio. Some of you know him from Twitter as, uh, what did you describe him as, Ramon? Well, he's known as Darby Skoltz on Twitter, but he's like, he's <laughs> yes. a resident 
election political analyst on yeah. Twitter. And a former uh, DA speechwriter for Musi Maimani. That's why his speeches used to be quite good. Um, and Not anymore, now, now a consultant after doing an MBA in the U.S., uh, very interested in in models uh, around not those types of models, but maybe those two. Also, those kinds of models. Yes, absolutely. Um, but very interested in in those ty- in models, uh, looking at voting patterns and data and all of that. Darby, you want to tell us a bit more about that background? Uh, sure. Well, first of- well, welcome to the show. Hi guys, thanks yeah, for having me. Fuck's um, <laughs> you know, welcome, Darby. I mean, please excuse my curse. Screw the formalities, really. Um, so thanks, thanks for the intro. Um, so I think what you're referring to is the the model that I built for the 2016 local government election campaign. Um, and what it really is is uh, just a statistical model which can be used to uh, project uh, election results on election night. Um, hopefully with between 1% or 5% of the vote in, um, it identifies some voting patterns across across different communities. Um, and then we're able to, to get a sense of, of how people will, will vote in the end. Um, and uh, it's like a little bit of a, a hobby of mine. Um, I like... Uh, playing with Excel and playing with numbers and uh, and playing with models. Well, I, I've tried not yet successfully. You, 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 got um, it, you got it quite right. I mean, you know, we're not big fans of of, of polling necessarily. It depends. Uh, this is the other issue. Some polling's really well done these days, and some polling's not. And you never really have a good idea of what the methodology was unless you know the people who did the polling and they tell you. Uh, we've had a lot of people get it wrong. Brexit got it wrong. The pollsters there. Trump, they got it wrong there. Local government elections, you were, you were quite close on, on most of your predictions. Uh, yes, but I think there's a critical distinction to be made to, between what I'm doing and what pollsters are doing. So pollsters phone people in, in advance before an election, ask them how they will vote, um, and re- use still relatively small samples of about 500 to 2,500 people, uh, and then they try to, um, sort of discern voting patterns from within those small samples and try to project it across the entire population, which is statistically much more challenging, actually, than what it is that I'm doing. Um, I look at the entire electorate, um, and what my model has done is to um, try to construct sub-pockets of the electorate, which I know um, or which we can um, observe to be voting um, in homogenous ways. And then as soon as we get a certain portion of, of each of those pockets, we can get a sense of how the rest of the pocket will vote. Um, so what, what I do is very much um, based on um, real votes and modeling real votes um, across the entire electorate, as opposed to taking these super tiny samples, um, which, which are inherently more risky when you try to predict future outcomes. So can we have a, a median voter for each political party? Would no. you say? No. no. I mean, that's impossible to you. The average ANC voter is not a 24-year-old black man living in this, well, living in, uh, this LSM and whatever. I mean, you can't, you can't say that. Uh, I or, mean, or difficult, very difficult to. You can to try say to that. approximate that. I think we should take a step back and, and rather think a little bit about, and this is where I think about our elections, is whenever, an election takes place in South Africa, I like to think that there's not just one election taking place. There's actually about 10 different elections taking place. Um, who, and they're quite homogenous elections. The one is a suburban election, mm. which is overwhelmingly dominated by white voters. Um, and uh, the DA does really well in that election. Um, another election that takes place is a sort of group of other minority voters that go to vote that live in a mix of suburbs and other lower income um, uh, uh, areas. 
Um, and they do relatively kind of well for the DA. Um, but then there are a host of other kinds of elections, for example, um, urban township, um, you know, elections in Gauteng, um, rural township elections across the country. Um, and increasingly we're starting also to see, um, very, um, uh, kind of split voting patterns between different languages within the black community as well. Um, so you, you get, for example, um, I would say in the next election, there's going to be a, a very distinct difference between the coastal election in townships and the inland election in townships. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, so f- from the polling that I've seen and that I've seen in the past, and you can see it in the voting patterns as well, for example, is that the, the ANC is much stronger amongst the Nguni speakers, so Tosa and Zulu speakers, um, and are likely to be much more resilient in, um, for example, KZN and the Eastern Cape, um, versus, for example, Tswana, Sutu, Peri, Venda speakers, where ANC losses are, are much faster and where the EFF and D in nodes are much higher. And you actually see that at a micro level in places like Gauteng as well, where in, for example, northern Gauteng in places like Harankua, Amanskral, uh, Mabopane, uh, so Shanguve, where the DA and the EFF made very significant inroads in 2016, getting up to like the high teens, the mid-teens for both of those parties, and the ANC down to like the low 60s, versus a place like, for example, Orange Farm in the southern part of Joburg, which is overwhelmingly Khorsa-speaking. Um, and there the ANC still got high 70s, low 80s. Um. And, and Orange Farm is a shithole. Like if, if you go there in terms of the service delivery, yeah. in terms of the squalor yeah. that people live in, it is horrific. Yeah. So yeah, I grew up around the corner from there. Yeah, so it, it's really not a nice place. So it, it would be surprising in a local government election for people to go, let's vote for the same bastards again. Orange Farm was the strongest ANC area in Johannesburg in, in 2016. So – I, I don't know if you'll know the answer to this, but but does it seem like the things we think affect people's decision-making actually matters? So, you know, you would assume, um, you know, uh, Sandra in, in Santon is very upset about potholes and, 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 you know, she finds 702 all the time to moan about them. And then if the potholes are fine, then she's okay, you know, um, and same for traffic lights and things like that. And, you know, that would be the assumption. And the assumption would be that the guy in Orange Farm who didn't have access to running water, maybe he gets some running water, then he'll be happy. But it doesn't seem to necessarily go that way because I don't know if you've looked at service delivery protests versus voting patterns at all. I haven't done that. That's a very interesting one. Um, but I'm, I'm going to – so that was your second question and I haven't looked at that. And maybe no, it's that's fine. I ramble sometimes. But uh, <laughs> I'll, answer the the, I'll answer the first one. Um, I'm really a strong believer in the rational voter model and I think a lot of people will find this con- quite a controversial position. But I think South African voters are immensely rational in the choices that they make and I'll explain why. Um, so I think if you look at our past, I think that's obviously the um, – the major factor in a lot of people's minds when they go to vote. Um, and I think specifically if you look at the majority electorate, the black electorate, I think the key question that, that they face when they go to the voting stations is who is going to advance um, the transformation of the economy um, and create fair opportunities for everyone in this economy, or at least who is, going to, who is perceived to be able to do that best. Um, and so I think the voters of Orange Farm who live in squalor and decide to vote ANC despite bad service delivery still believe that the ANC is the party which feels the most for them and is most likely to be able to deliver on their hopes and dreams. Um, and I, I think 
it's um it it fits to me with the rational model of voting where they they think that that is what will best advance their interests whether that is actually the vote that will best advance their interests is up for debate sure. um the DA and the AFF wouldn't agree but I, but I think a lot of people would agree that the ANC is still the most optimal vote for them so up for debate right but but it's not about i mean policy is like really secondary to all of that i mean people don't sure. if i speak to ordinary people which I don't. Uh, but if you, I assume if no, you do. excuse us. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm amongst the elite, to my left. Uh, amongst amongst the people in Stain City. No, no, no. Or is it to your right, Johnson? <clears throat> far right, <laughs> far right. Um, but if you speak to ordinary people, I mean, people don't actually know what policies are. And I'm speaking about DA people specifically because they happen to be some of my friends, unfortunately. But um, if you ask them, okay, what is the, what is the crux of like affirmative action? They'll say, well, if there's an equal opportunity, you choose the black guy or the black woman instead of the white guy. And you're like, yeah, but if you read the legislation, like it goes much deeper than that. It's about procurement. It's about all sorts of other yeah. things. So people don't seem to be obsessed about the policies as such. Look, I, I think a lot of a lot of research has been done across the world about how voters interact with policy and interact with complex political ideas. And the the bottom line is that no matter how well educated voters are, or how wealthy they are, or how much attention they give to politics, no voter is able to keep in their minds more than four or five key points, or you know, on average. Sure. Um, so trying to convince people of your 20-point policy plan of how you're going to reform affirmative action to be almost like the ANCs, but slightly different, just isn't going to work. The way that, that hint, voters, hint, Moosey. The, <laughs> the, the way that the way that voters interact with this is at a very broad sto- uh, strokes level. So yeah. who is the party that is for upliftment of the black majority? Sure. Who is the party that is trying to protect white interests? Those are the kinds of um, so, very so, basic broad strokes that, that the average voter thinks through when they go vote. And I think that's what um, each political party should tap into. And that's obviously a psychology, you know, seen worldwide. Yes. All right. So. So, all right, well, <laughs> simply enough answer. You, sorry, if yeah. I may. How do you explain EFS relatively low, um, success? They're not trusted. So I think that if you look Ooh. at the, if okay. you look at the, um, at the polling, and, uh, and this is one of my pet little interests, is, is looking at the EFF and, um, having by far the most radical, most furthest to the left policies, and you think that people in poverty would be super excited about that, right? Like nationalization but of mines. very pro, pro-black. I uh, mean, ob, 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 of course. Abstainly. Yeah. But I think a lot, and a lot of people identify that and say, yes, this is the party which closely resembles my ideology and what I would want and probably would give me the most. But I just don't believe that they're going to be able to pull it off because they're a bunch of young kids. Um, they are potentially too radical. Um, they can't work with, um, you know, uh, business and social civil society, and they're just going to cause chaos um, if they uh, if they ever get into power. So I think there's a lot of people who um, ideologically are actually aligned to the EFF, but are deeply concerned with the EFF's kind of um, I don't know predilection the to myth. chaos in parliament and, and the method, method. Yeah. exactly. Um, so there's oh, there's like yeah. a lack of maturity there. So whenever I see Julius Malema standing up and giving a, a relatively mature measured speech. Um, then I think, wow, okay, this guy may actually make progress in the next election. Whenever I see him standing up in parliament and throwing chairs around and starting a fight, then I think I'm taking the party backwards because I don't think that's going to win them the kind of swing voters. It's interesting because if you look in the media at what the media, and and it's almost become like they are a separate group of people within society because I, 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 I often find we have guests here who say things based on their expertise and knowledge and their areas um, where they work and, and, what the media is saying is opposite and, and same, same here because you've got 
the EFF does those things where they start fights in parliament and the entire media will sort of say, well, this is excellent and um, this is a great thing and the EFF are really going to get tr- great traction from this and, and you're saying, well, that doesn't actually reflect. Yeah. If you look at, if you look at the, the, the polling that, that came out around 2016 and, this, and the polling that's come out since then is if you poll individual political leaders and, and ask people, you know, how positively or negatively do you feel about this person? Um, then Jacob Zuma has the highest negatives in the country. Okay. And we can fully understand that he's just had a lot of negative stuff around him. But the second, the person in second place for the highest negatives is Julius Milema. So he, he has this, um, I'd say 10 to 15% band of people who absolutely love what he's doing. Um, and the media is playing this message to those people and reinforcing their support to the EFF. But there's like 60% of the country, um, including vast parts of the black electorate, that find it unacceptable and that think it's, it's not a constructive way to conduct politics because it's not yeah. going to advance uh, the economy and my empowerment and therefore the EFF is not a constructive vote for me. But let's not forget, I mean, South Africa is a fairly conservative c- country, right? We don't really like radicalism much. Yeah, would, I don't Would know. you agree with that or disagree? I don't know. I, I think we may... I think we may um, be drifting further to the left in our um in our policy preferences um because they they where there was never even a space for a party like the EFF there is now a space for the EFF and i think it's particularly in the young, like in the in the younger generation that is frustrated by the lack of progress since 1994 and says well you know it may be actually this you know kind of like market consensus 90s gear policy we had wasn't actually aggressive enough in its in its transformation and redistribution of wealth um we want a more aggressive one um the problem is just we we don't quite, in my opinion, have a party yet that's able to credibly sell that message. Um, the EFF is maybe starting to get there slowly but surely, but they're not there yet, and it's and it comes up in their really high negatives when you look at the polling. So, yeah, they're just unacceptable to a large portion of the of the electorate. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, so how? So, so basically, you're telling me the DA will never win an election, or well, in the foreseeable future, in the next maybe. The next one definitely not. But do you think the DA could ever hope to get over fifty percent of the election? So let's let, I mean let's think about this a little bit, right? So so the DA got twenty two percent nationally last time, and let's just talk about national elections mm. for a moment. So local government elections are a bit special mm. because as you know, the turnout patterns are totally different. Minority voters turn out disproportionately. Um so uh, local government elections will always be better for the DA, um just because their base turns out really high highly in those elections whilst the anti base stays away. So in the national elections, twenty two percent of the vote, um and we know that about you know, ten to fifteen percent of the of the electorate is is minority, right? And the DA wins almost all of it. So, mm. let's assume in some future election, the DA is able to engineer a massive turnout of its base. And in fact, I think this is going to happen in 2019, by the way, especially in Gauteng, because I think they think they can win now, um, and they're just really pissed. So, I think I think you could see really high DA base turnout in 2019. But let's so, okay, let's assume a scenario where super high DA base turnout and instead of like a 15% minority turnout you have like uh, uh electorate you have like a, a 15 to 20% um minority electorate of which the DA wins everything. So you're talking about still an 80% black electorate, right? Um mm. so how much of the DA of that does the DA need to win uh, to to get close? Obviously they need to win another 20% or so to get them to 40, so that's one in Four, right, roughly. Um, right now, they're at six, seven, eight percent. Um, so we're talking about you know tripling of what they have now. Um, is it possible? Um, 
Maybe with demographic changes and if the DA is able to reposition itself, I think, to be more acceptable to voters that want social and economic justice, which it is not now. Um, maybe. I think there's, I, I don't think the door is completely shut. Um, but it's a tough road and it's, uh, it's a long way to go. They're, they're about a third of the way they need to go in the black electorate, if you ask me. And also that's to 40%. That's not to 50%. This yeah, is not just that's, so just yeah, yeah. that's, that's assuming now that like, I get to yeah, 40 yeah. and then the senior partner in a coalition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 50, a gets, coalition. 50 gets, 50 uh, gets difficult. The math gets stuff. Yeah. All right. So. I'm just wondering yet, and I, I'm assuming there probably wouldn't be yet, but to me it seems like the DA is moving away from some of its core liberal principles. We've discussed this um, quite extensively on the show. And, you know, you say they've always picked up that minority because they yeah. just automatically get it. Yeah. Um, there was an election recently where the DA actually lost some people to the FF+. Plus. Yeah. Which is really actually quite concerning for them because, you know, you would expect that people would. The DA is a was you know a very the DA I feel comfortable voting for is very much a centrist type party. Mm -hmm. um, so for them to for people who vote for a centrist party to vote for what's really become quite a right wing party mm. um, and is quite controversial on, on some issues in in many of the ways that the EFF is controversial on the other side. Mm. Uh, is is quite concerning. Is there a chance that they actually lose that minority they've always, or a, a good chunk of that minority they've always been able to rely on? If you asked me three weeks ago, I would have just have said no. Um, <laughs> but then Metsimolo happened, right? Um, so this the by-election you're referring to is the Metsimolo yeah. one in the Northern Free State, uh, Sasselberg, uh, you know. Um, and they they got about 80% of the suburban vote there in 2016, and they got about 71% this time. So they dropped kind of almost nine points, I'd say, um, which is a lot. Uh, that's, you know, one in eight of their voters decided not to vote for them, and the turnout also wasn't too hard. Um, so... Is it possible that they could lose some right-wing vote or some more conservative voters on, on their right flank? Yes. Um, and in fact, do I think they will? Y probably, I think, if they continue on the current path. Um, but you see, they have to make a, a vote maximizing calculation, right? Is, um, how much will they pick up in the, in the townships and how much will they lose in the suburbs? Um, and I think fundamentally there is enough um, moderate people in the suburbs who I think understand this calculus and who want, who want to be part of a multiracial coalition of relatively centrist voters who could be a multiracial alternative to the ANC to, um, for, I think for it to justify the DA. So I don't see a collapse in their base at all. Um, I, I, I probably see them maybe, yeah, the, the FF plus siphons off a little bit on their right flank. But as you've said, the FF plus is also so extreme and, mm. uh, in particular, you know, it's an Afrikaner nationalist party. So it's it's really only a, an option for very conservative Afrikaans voters. And I'm not sure if you would vote for them, Jonathan. I mean, you're not, you don't seem that Afrikaans. No, well, well, uh, well, they won't allow you in. It depends on their policies. I have to be honest, the party I would next vote for would probably be the IFP. Um, but that that is based not on what the IFP necessarily does. It's based more on what's written in the IFP's policies. Sure. Um, but that would be quite a stretch. I, I would consider staying away actually before I would probably consider voting for anyone else. Mm. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, to me, it looks like the DA is starting to squander the goodwill that they've had in Cape Town. Um, they finally had a challenge in Cape Town, uh, which is obviously there's always been the gang violence and whatever, but I don't think that's really been too much of their concern because I'm not sure how much of the Cape Flats they actually win. 
um, everything. Do they? Yes. So okay. if you, so, um, if you look at places like Mitchell's Plain, Bontevel, Grassy Park. Yeah. Um, so the so the the, the colored part of the place, yeah. right? Is that what you're referring to? Um, well, yeah. I mean, the people that are afflicted by the worst crime in the world. Yeah. So they are voting for the DA at in a voting pattern that is kind of like exactly the same as the white suburbs in the in the in the southern suburbs and the northern suburbs. So we're talking like ninety percent, eighty five percent. Sure. DA, yeah. Uh, yeah which is, co- colored people don't like the ANC. Yeah, yeah I, I, I got you. I just I, I think if you're living in what, what could literally be called a, a war zone. Um, and I need to stop using that word, but what, what could be called a war zone, I, I, it seems odd to me. And now you've got, uh, you know, Patricia DeLille seems to be losing support. Uh, certainly, you, you, you can't tell it from any election just yet, but it, it seems to be that the discussion is a lot more um, uh, negative towards, towards her uh, with the water crisis that's going on. Instead of trying to be... Well, I think they are trying to be helpful, but instead of like saying this is all the stuff we're doing to be helpful, they're trying to punish people. Um, and the question will be whether how tolerant people are being nannied, mm. right? Uh, you know, there was that uh, – it, it might have been fake news, but there was that rumor that they wanted to tax people um, – for for using less water mm. now uh, th- this isn't a rumor they're going to increase the the um, vehicle motor li- motor vehicle licenses they're going to increase taxes in the western cape um unilaterally uh, from what i can tell um you, you know they, they they're doing all kinds of things which may 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 the citizen might like but i don't know i they, just they, i just they, feel that another act, option they're might acting, pop up. they're acting like a party without an opposition yeah that like the anc everywhere. act basically I disagree with that. I think they're moving okay. to the left. Um, so I think that they're, they're exhibiting all the, the signs of a, of a party that is, um, more interested in redistributive policies, right? So they're, they're increasing taxes in the Western Cape because they want more government, government money to be able to presumably spend on various developmental means. Right. Um, and I think that's reflective of their policies nationally as well. They, they are moving to the left. So I can understand that if you're a classical liberal, liberal or libertarian, then the DA isn't exactly where um, it used to be for you, and I think then you have some difficult choices to make. But I like how he looks at me when he says classical liberal. I'm an anarchist. I don't, I don't vote ever. <laughs> ANC, yeah, the DA, this is a pointless they, conversation. They, they, all, they, all, they all deserve each other, in my opinion. And if you do vote for them, you somehow yeah, original. I, what I'm saying is uh, the, there was a by-election recently where the Cape Party picked up some votes. Yeah. I, the Cape Party, you know, I'm very off-put by them, but because they. Uh, Firstly, I, I'm not sure I buy into the whole secession idea. Um, and, and secondly, even if I did, they went and defaced that art, uh, that fuck white people art. Okay. Using the word art very broadly. Yeah. yeah okay. But, but anyway, the but, point is they vandalize property, which yeah. doesn't show respect for property. It's, it's a, it's a private property issue. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the K party has an issue in that sense, but it's quite, Odd to see them pulling a, a very fringe party, really, pulling votes away from the DA. And I just wonder if you had a, if you had a liberal party that popped up, a truly, you know, what the DA was 20 years ago when they had signposts, you know, I think Martin van Staden mentioned, you know, I can't remember the exact wording, but essentially very liberal ideas about individuality, about freedom, about liberty. Um, if 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 they if they had a party to compete against like that, I think they might start taking a bit of a knock. At the moment, we've got a funny situation in South Africa. People will vote for the DA because the ANC 
are that bad. You know, they've got all this corruption and all this stuff happening around them. So they, they're like, oh, well, next best option. All right. The, the logo is quite cool. And, and Moosey gives a decent speech every now and again. You know, like that's like. I think, I think you have more contempt than the average voter than I do. <laughs> The speech is pretty cool and the logo is nice. That's what you think people vote for the DA. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just like, uh, what I'm saying is, um, and that was a bit reductionist, but the point is, is that you have an ANC which are just not an option for a lot of people. Uh, maybe they like the ANC because if you say they're going, the DA is going left and that might bring people actually towards them. Hmm. Perhaps people like the ANC and they like the ANC left policies. The DA has been described as ANC light. Maybe that's what people want. Maybe we are completely off the mark. Um, but the, the point is, is, is if you had another option, there isn't another option. It's yeah. basically that or the fringe parties, the DA have made very clever marketing of convincing people, voters not to vote for small parties because it's a waste of your vote, yeah. inverted commas, which mathematically they're not incorrect. What's your question? And yeah, I, I <laughs> well, mathematically they are incorrect. It's not a it's not a waste of your vote. It's, well, it depends. Isn't there a threshold? No. On uh, unless on you're, unless parliamentary you're, seats. Yeah, right? it's like forty thousand votes. So unless you're voting for a party that gets less than zero point two five percent of the vote, indeed, then it is a waste of your vote. But if you're voting for a party that has zero point two five percent of the vote or forty thousand votes roughly, mm. then you have your one seat in parliament, and and therefore, you know, let's say there was some liberal party that perfectly espoused your position, then they could just vote with the DA on every issue that they agree with, and you would have your perfectly liberal position. So then it's not a waste um, at national level, in my opinion. So so I, I I tend to agree with you. I think if if there was some perfectly liberal party, say the Democratic Party of old, were to you know yeah. arise, um, then you know perhaps that would that would they would probably siphon off a little bit of the DA. Well, yeah, but I, mean, I got the solution already. Tony Leon <laughs> matches up with Helen Ziller. Tony Leon hates and, Helen Ziller no, but that, and but supports Musi. No, he does. He just says that because he writes about it. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Leon had had Tony, Tony Leon, we're going to have you on the show. Tony and then Leon tell us. had had that poster where it says less government, more freedom. Something to that effect. Vote DA with his mug on. It was, it. Yes, but right? that was twenty years ago. Maybe right. Tony read a whole bunch of Karl Marx in the meantime, and no, now he changed his. But mind. he's still he's still far he's still much more right than the current year. Sure. So you need Tony Leon, Helen Zeller to make up and kiss, and create the Liberal Party, and then I bet you. My bottom dollar. A few people from the DA will go and join them. It's a lot and of that's a lot of whites, Ramon. That's a lot leverage. of whites. Zach Mbele is not white. <laughs> Zach Mbele, the shadow MP of police, he's as black as I never said. This I never said Zach was. Well. And he's the most libertarian guy in the whole of the DA. So take your um, assumptions. I don't know about. I, I think uh, we need to have let Zach and um, oh, oh, he's, I've lost the name. Who? Some Former other guest um, Michael Carter No man <laughs> Helen Zeller Forget it <laughs> No, I mean, But anyway I mean if you had A liberal party In the Western Cape I think it could Make You know Turn the DA A bit more right If they had a significant Portion of, of the vote yeah, I, I, this is all true, but I, just, I think it's kind of besides the point of South African politics right now, though, because no, but secession will happen whether we want to or not. Secession will yeah, happen. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I disagree <laughs> with that. I don't think so. Sorry. Yeah, I also disagree. Yeah. Wait. All right. Let Darby speak because yeah, <laughs> well, I, I think over. the fundamental trend. So, so to me, the the defining thing in our politics now is the splintering of the ANC base, right? So the, the ANC had 80% of the townships for 20 years. They're, they're down to 65 or the high 60s in, in 2016. They're you know down to 45 in Metsi Mahalo two weeks ago. Um, where will they be in 2019? Um, and 
you know, I think, I think that is the, the defining trend. Um, and, and that's the, that's the real question is how does the DA position itself within that electorate? Um, and, and what happens with this SACP phenomenon, right? If, is it going to become a real thing? Um, was this Metsi Mahalo thing just a, a, an internal move to kind of, you know, um, get some leverage in the negotiations in the party right now? That's my feeling. But if they actually do go for it, then that may be the credible party that is able to deliver on these left-wing policies that I think a lot of people are interested in. So uh, I think that, that the splintering of the township vote is the, is the critical thing that we should be focusing I, I on. I would love the, the communists to go by themselves and get 3% of the vote. I think that'd be great. I think they'd get more than that. Really? Yeah. But no one likes commies. You'd be surprised. <laughs> well, any intuition then, if the commies got like 10% of the votes, the, the EFF carried their sort of 6 to 8%, and the DA pulled through and they were man- that gave them, do you think there would ever be a coalition between those three parties? I don't know. That's a, that's a really difficult one. I think that's an open question. That's a, that's a really good question. And the other question that I also have is if the SACP were to actually run in, a, in an election, you know, what would their posture be towards the ANC? Because in an election campaign, when push comes to shove, you have to take on your opponent, right? You're going to have to attack your opponent. You're going to have to run a, a tough campaign. And if the SACP ever, um, does break away, um, are they going to have the guts to do that? It'll be very interesting to see. Well, I mean, if there was SACP, EFF, and DA, I'd vote for ANC straight away if I voted. <laughs> very simple. <laughs> he doesn't vote, folks. Don't listen to a word he says. Right. Um, I don't. So let's talk about the elective conference. It's happening in whatever, a week or two from now. No, I don't even know. It's this weekend, man. I give on. It's this weekend. Yeah. 16th. I'm yeah. flying to the Western Capes. I don't give a shit. Um, to the place that's going to secede. Right. Yes. Yes, and have no economy. That's why I'm going there. I'm going there for some, you know, foot traffic and <laughs> spreading the message. Yeah. Um, no, but seriously though, so there's Mini Zuma and then there's Cyril yeah. or Serial. Um, so the votes, a lot of the branches seem to be in. It looks like Cyril has a slight majority. What people are discounting is the millions and millions and millions of rands that will be passed before then and now um, to ensure that Mini Zuma wins. So I think she will win, but I mean, what is your, based on the modeling and the stats, what do you think? Okay. So I haven't run any modeling or stats on it because it's impossible to do so because we don't have the data, right? So I think that the one crucial thing that everyone is missing is that there is no master list of all ANC branches, how large each branch is and who voted, who it voted for, right? So we, 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 we know that, that X number, what, 1,800 branches nominated Cyril and 1,300 nominated Lamini Zuma, but we don't know how large those branches are. So that's the one critical thing to keep in mind. So just anecdotally, for example, in KZN, all of Etiquini's massive branches that send multiple delegates, like, like huge numbers of delegates to the, to the conference, all went for Lamini Zuma. So if, if the large branches are skewed towards the mini zuma, I think the, the picture that you just described may not be entirely accurate. It may be that this thing is actually closer than we think. Um, that's the one thing. And then, of course, we mustn't forget the impact of all these, like, uh, you know, the Women's League and the Youth League and the various provincial PECs and all the other kind of um, uh, non-branch related delegates who seem to be leaning towards the mini zuma. And then, of course, there's this issue about the abstentions in the various provinces, which are basically like unity votes and the unity votes, um, which I think seem to all be going to Dlamini Zuma. Yeah, I mean, so, I think she will win. Uh, no, I, I don't think it – well, I mean, I disagree. I think I think it's likely that Ramaphosa is still ahead, despite everything I've just said. Right. But it's much, much closer than the picture that the branch delegation or the branch R- Ramon, have, have created. Cyril's also got a lot of money. Why won't he just take bags of money along and bribe people? 
Well, he says he isn't. Well, exactly. So he might have more money than the Guptas, and then, oh, and then he's worth two billion dollars. The Guptas are worth ten. <laughs> All right. Well, who knows if they want to spend that much? You know, on, yeah, on this, I mean, is it worth it to them? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, speaking for myself, so Cyril's been in running for the past year or so. Why is he going out to game? auctions and looking at cattle and doing all these things during the election campaign. Just, does it strike you as someone who really cares about whether they win or not? Well, not necessarily. I but mean, Trump uh, stopped playing golf for six months before the election, and that's a huge deal, right? <laughs> but Cyril goes to game auctions every second weekend. All right. Well, sure. I, I suppose there's that. I, I don't know. What, what has Nkosazani Lamini Zuma been doing with her time? <laughs> She's been bemoaning. I don't know. I don't listen to she her. She sends out stupid tweets, and other than that, no, you never hacked. see the woman. She was hacked. We're still of, waiting of for the report on, on the hack. <laughs> um, so, based on – okay, can you have different scenarios based on who will win? Yes. Yeah, so, I think this is a really, really critical uh, yeah. conversation. So, um, this is my opinion, so I don't have, you know, putting on this or, or no, no, whatever. Derby. <laughs> opinions, opinions are for – opinion, this is a daily maverick. Yeah, we only deal in the truth. Unfortunately, I don't have data for you on this. We we, uh, we have a dearth of polling in this country. Oh, why, are um, we, why did we invite him here? If you don't want to contact um, us, what do you want to know? I, I can say, though, that, that I think it's 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 pretty clear that if Ramaphosa is the, is the victor in, in, uh, you know, in Nazarek, um, then I, I think it's going to be an historic opportunity for the EFF because then you're going to hear about the Buffalo and you're going to hear about McDonald's and you're going to hear about Americana nonstop for the next three years from Julius Malema. Um, and I think, I think if that happens, it's, it's a golden ticket for the EFF and a problem for the DA. Um, there was, there was some you numbers. You think they'll siphon from the DA, not from the ANC, though? The, talking about the FF. In terms of voters, yeah. Because you're saying it's a problem for the DA. It's a problem for the DA because I think some of the DA, the, the DA vote will go back to the ANC if that's yeah, the case. Well, well there's, there's the risk that that could happen. So it's um, got the same plan as we see. They're, they're struggling well, to figure out who's still. Yeah, and it's that whole thing of if the ANC, we believe the ANC is semi-competent, we'll still vote for the ANC. Exactly. Um, and that the, the, the problems that we've had, so this perception that the problems that we've had with the ANC are isolated to Jacob Zuma and the Jacob Zuma faction and not to the ANC as a whole. Um, so I, I think that's the, the one critical, um, question that, that will that's be answered. That's the Derek Hanacombe proposal, right? Yes. Well, the, yes. The, the, basically everyone the, except Zuma proposal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and it's my cozy. I didn't vote Jacob Zuma out four out of five times proposal. Yes, that's yes. one. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but then the, the the other side of the coin is if if the mini Zuma wins, um, geez, I think it's like it's, it's glorious. Be, oh come on, it's going to be electorally extremely dangerous for the ANC, especially in Gauteng. Exactly. Um, I think I think then we're looking at at um, at urban ANC voters. Um, we don't know how many yet, but but some of them deserting the deserting the ANC. Um, and you know, in a place like Gauteng, if you had to have a best guess about what the outcome of Gauteng 2019 is going to be um, now, I would say mid to high 40s for the ANC if the 2016 voting pattern just repeats itself. If you siphon off another 5% in the townships, you're talking about an ANC in the low to mid 40s, which means coalition politics becomes very, very viable in Gauteng in 2019. And I think that's that for me is the is the it's the critical focal point for 2019 is Gauteng. A lot of people are talking about this idea of a national power shift. I think the, it's, it's just the, the, the numbers are too big. If there's a massive wave, then maybe, maybe Northwest actually also comes into play a little bit. Um, if there's like a 10 point swing in the townships away from the ANC, then Northwest actually becomes viable. Oh, right. Um, okay. yeah. For so, the EFF though. Uh, for, for the, yes, exactly. For the EFF, for the, for an EFF DA coalition, 
but for the EFF being the larger party in that coalition, okay. yes. Um, and then, uh, and I think Gauteng will be the first domino to fall, um, the, the Northwest second, and then KZN is a bit of a special, a special case. Um, yeah, I think KZN and Easter Cape are very entrenched. I don't see that going. In northern, so a northern, huge shift. northern KZN is very interesting. There's been 25 by-elections this year in northern KZN with about 70,000 voters who participated in them. The IFP won about 50% of the vote and the, F, uh, the ANC about 40%. And it was about a 10% swing away from the ANC and towards the IFP. So okay. I, my feeling is that there's a, there's a move in, in northern KZN back to the IFP. And it's more than just a consolidation of the old NFP vote and IFP vote. Mm. It's NFP plus IFP plus a little bit of, of, Votes getting back from the ANC. So you think long term they could lose KZN to the IFP probably? It's possible. Well, that's the pattern now. It's difficult to. He's not making predictions. No, so, sure. so there's 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 now. definitely a pattern in rural and specifically northern KZN against against the ANC towards the IFP. If it's if it's enough to threaten the the you know KZN falling, I'm not sure because the the ANC is exceptionally strong in southern KZN and Etiquini, and we don't have any data from there yet. But I would I would love to see some by-elections in Etiquini sometime soon. To, to, yeah, it's just to it's just. If if it didn't mean just total looting in the meantime, it seems like a better outcome, in my opinion. So you you have a situation where the country, you take nine provinces and you you, you kind of start splitting them, and every you know it, it, there's an equal sort of not equal, but there's a division of the provinces amongst the different parties, uh, and even better if you could get the ANC to drop below fifty percent. Um, so that you had coalition politics in, in government. I mean, we, we, you know, part of the issue I was lamenting earlier about Cape Town and the DA is that the DA has just too much power. They have too much control. So they can do whatever they like. The ANC's had that for many years and we've seen the results of that. I, I think coalition politics is, is the, the best possible answer. Uh, the US has got a whole bunch of shit going on now for that exact reason. It's either Republicans do whatever they, they want to do or the Democrats do whatever they want to do. And no one actually, there's not bipartisanship. Um, I I think that might be a a better a better way to go. Just your opinion. Electoral contestation is good for governance, right? I mean, that's that's a, a universal truth. So if parties fear that they are going to lose power, then they try to perform and they try to please the voters and they try to serve the interests of the voters. So absolutely, I agree with that. And I think to some extent we are already seeing that in Gauteng, right? I think the, the, the ANC-run provincial government in Gauteng is now more on top of the ball than I've ever seen them before um, because of what they anticipate to be a huge risk in 2019. There's still a circus seal on top of the ball, but yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless, unless you talk about... Esedemeni and a few other issues that crop up and of cause course. real harm. And yeah. I think Herman and Sally are giving them a run for their money. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when you say Gauteng is like the, the linchpin, yeah. well, what do you mean by that? So assuming Gauteng falls, yeah. ANC loses power here, yeah. EFFDA coalition, yes. what, the, what, why is that the linchpin? Okay. We're understanding we make the most money here, but yeah. what, what, are, what are your predictions after that? So I, I think, um, there are, there are two things to say. So the first thing is that in, in 2011 and, and, and 20 kind of, actually the period between 2006 and 2014, the DA had the strategy to be the party of delivery, right? To be the, the service delivery party. Have you heard anything about that recently? You heard anything? Nothing, right? That the message has just gone quiet. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason why the, that message didn't work out was because the DA was the delivery party in the Western Cape and the vast majority of people live outside of the Western Cape. So they haven't, they weren't able to see it. 
Um, whether the message is true or not, let's just forget that moment for, yeah. for, for a moment. But they weren't able to see There's it. There's nothing tangible about the promise. And also the Western Cape is perceived as this white slash colored place that's just different than the rest of South Africa. So if you're talking about your great delivery in the Western Cape, you're talking about how you're delivering for white people and colored people, basically. Um, so the difference is governing in Gauteng, which is in the middle of the most populous part of the country, um, where governance is really visible and, and it can be felt um, and can be seen, will have a huge impact. Um, and also, it's incredibly credible to govern in a place like Gauteng, which is known to be reflective of South Africa's demographics to some extent yeah, true. and of South Africa's economy. And it's basically an immigrant city because you've got pretty much everyone from every rural area coming in here. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Um, and so that's the one thing I think that's really important is it will be a very credible governance story. So if, if the DA or EFF ever were to govern in Gauteng, it would give them kind of another opportunity to have a bite at this governance cherry, like the service delivery um, story. So that's the one thing. The other thing is what we did observe in, in Cape Town in the, in the 2000s um, and you know, early, early around 2011 was when the DA won in Cape Town in 2006, quite quickly after that, it started doing very well in, in Cape Town, like even better, and making huge gains in the municipalities around Cape Town. Um, and I think there's a potential for that to happen in Gauteng. Mm. Um, so, and, and it's already actually embedded a little bit in the voting pattern if you look at 2016. If you draw concentric circles around Gauteng, um, the, the ANC losses are concentrated in Gauteng and close to Gauteng. Um, so the, the, the big ANC losses in Northwest were in Maribeng um, and, and Rustenburg big and urban, the mining areas. Urban areas. Urban areas yeah. close to Gauteng. Same in Mpumalanga. Oh, right. There actually were ANC losses in the western part of Mpumalanga, right on the Gauteng border. Same in Limpopo, the southern part of Limpopo, right? Morimole is actually a hung council. Like it's right on the border. And same now with Metsimalo as well in the northern free state. So I think if, if there ever were to be a massive shift in South Africa where the ANC loses huge amounts of votes and, and, and new parties you know, come to the fore, it's going to start, the, the rebellion, so to speak, will start in Gauteng and around Gauteng. Um, and, and governance in Gauteng, I think, is the, is the critical, um, I don't know, like... Lynchpin. Yeah, lynchpin and fuse to the, to the fire, or the fire to the fuse. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. And, and, you pr- and, okay, based on your model, yes. Gauteng will fall in 2019. I'm, I'm quite, so I think it's likely that the ANC will be under 50. Mm. Um, I think they will probably still be the largest party by quite, quite, uh, uh, margin. Um, but a lot depends on the extent to which they're able to hold onto their core constituency in the township. So if they lose another five points in the townships, then the, into the mid 40s, if they don't lose anything there in the high 40s, then they can maybe still form a, a coalition. Um, maybe they manage to turn out their base like really, really high in 2019 and they just, just hold on. Um, but I think the most likely outcome is, is uh, an outcome for the ANC somewhere in the range between 46 and, and kind of 48, 49. Yeah, I mean, then the big concern comes in is these sort of splinter groups from the ANC that have come out. You know, ARC, uh, is it ADC now? Um, of course, he calls us party. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, EFF. Well, the ARC is the reason uh, that um, the DA is not running a Kuruleni. Yeah. Uh, no, no, a Mohale. Mokhale City, isn't it? No, no. And no, no. Mokhale, they lost. Uh, they had Mokhale, then they got the, the mayor, got, their mayor got voted out, I think, through yeah. council. But, but, uh, Ikuruleni was actually, the ANC had like 49% or something. And, uh, the kingmaker was the ARC, which was oh, that right. small okay. splinter group, which basically just want to really be held tightly at night and spooned by the ANC. Um, well, they share the same colors, I think, right? The same everything. Okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> they just, uh, 
you know, everyone's trying to do the same thing. They all want to be kings of the ANC. They're just going on uh, different routes on that. I want to ask your opinion on this has nothing to do with models and polling and anything like that. But um, the DA, is Musi Maimani the right person to be leading that party? And if they present a, uh, uh, and maybe he's the right person to be leading as I'm in charge of the party. But if they present a presidential candidate, should it not be someone like Herman Mashallah? Um I'm going to answer this in my capacity as a, a political analyst with a statistical model that, that looks at how voters vote and, and um, which would be the, the electorally optimal choice for the DA. Um, yeah. And I, I think that Musi Maimane is electorally the most potent option for them at a presidential level. Uh, and my personal opinion is also um, for him to be – he would be the most potent option um, for a premier candidate in 2019. That is an interesting conversation that has not been had yet, by the way. Mm, who would run Gauteng? Who would run Gauteng? Because, yes – Helen Zilla, obviously. The, <laughs> the, 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 the question about presidential candidate is critical, obviously, but, but the Gauteng premier candidacy is – uh, a very important question electorally for the DA, strategically for the DA, but also internally politically, I think, is, is who will actually get the nod for that? And I think it's, there's going to be some blood on the floor when, you know, before that story is told. Is, um, is, yeah, but Herman will be the one standing victorious. Why do you with, say that? With his opponent's blood. Uh, I just think he's like, he is a non-illogical, pragmatic guy. He just gets shit done. Um, I think, I think he's getting quite a lot more support uh, than uh, uh, before the election. I sense that the DA didn't think they would win Joe Burke. They're like, oh, fuck it, just give it to anyone. Oh, Herman, yeah, you, you can you can go. I and agree with won. you. Yeah. And then he won. And I don't like, think they thought they were going to win Joe This is what we're going to do. And he's doing what he said he's going to do. Yeah, he's got he's got messaging issues and his communication is not great. And but he knows what he knows what he wants to do. He knows what works. He thanks the EFA for everything when there's something good. Um, and he blames the ANC for anything when it goes bad. Like his messaging has improved a lot. I think as a pragmatic, non-ideologue, other, people do like it. The other thing is, is that I think his history and his background, you know, you've, uh, basically a, a career politician. He's, he's, he's never run anything. No, like, he wasn't, he's, wasn't he a McKinsey or something? He wasn't he a uh, consultant before the uh, DA? Who cares? Like he, he got a cushy consultant like job CBS? with like, you know, to sit at like 30,000 rand desks for no reason. Um, no, like, you know, you've got someone who basically has a, a bit of age behind him, a bit of wisdom. He's taken some knocks and he's succeeded in many ways. And I think that that matters. I think that matters when you're going into a fight with someone. And if you've been in fights like that before, uh, you have an idea of how to be victorious. And you kind of see that with Herman Mashaba where, where he's, he's had like a lot of challenges over the past year where you thought, oh, this is going to ruin him. This is going to absolutely destroy him. And he somehow he's coming out on top on the other side. Um, and he gets results. And, and I, I think, I think that's an age and an experience thing. Um, I think that, I think it's not, it's something Musi might be able to get to. And it's so, certainly something Solomon Sumanga would be able to get to as well. I think, I think he is, is, is the future of the party, in my opinion, um, in terms of competence. Um, Musi Maimani is who you have on the Calvin Klein billboard, but he's not the guy who runs Calvin Klein. Um, and that, in my opinion. And so that's the issue with him. Um, but you, you seem to have a, a different view and, and, and pro- probably you got more insight than, than we do. So I, I think the, the point you make about, about Herman Mushaba, um, I would, I would counter that if you look at the 2016 local government elections, Herman 
significantly underperformed in Joburg. So the deer inroads in places like Soweto, Orange Farm, um, uh, you know, Ivory Park, uh, Deep Slot, et cetera, et cetera, were significantly less than the deer inroads in Twane, most definitely. Um, so, so I think in the 2016 electoral test, Solly did better than Herman, in my opinion. Um, yeah. If you, if you, if you look at, if you look at the, um, the growth that the deer had in the different areas. But then even in places like Nelson Mandela Bay, um, in those townships, the deer also had more inroads than they had in Joburg. So, um, uh, so I, I wasn't particularly impressed with the DA's results with, with in Johannesburg in, in, in 2016. If you compare it to the rest of the country, sure. they, they lagged behind a little bit here. <laughs> um, so, I mean, maybe things have changed. And but it's a much trickier metro than, than one in Nelson Mandela Bay, isn't it? Well, I mean, because the ANC here was always the ANC hunting was always seen as as more competent than the Parks. rest of the country. Uh, Parks Tau and no, Pomashatile was backing him. Yeah, and Parks Tau is still seen as the guy who was not that bad compared to the rest. Meanwhile, he uh, wasn't. I think those things matter for about like maybe like one percent or two percent of the voting person. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I think if you, if you're looking at a national swing, like the NC had like so what they had like sixty two percent and went down to fifty five, right? So it was like a, a seven point swing nationally, which was like a ten point swing in the townships. And if you're talking like a national wave like that, the difference between parks in one place or, you know, like slight dynamics here and dynamics there, um, is it's 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 not that not that relevant in my yeah. opinion. Okay. Um yeah, and and in that context, to me, Herman just underperformed in in Johannesburg. Uh, but since then, is there any data to show have people's opinion of it? I would love to see some. Poem. Look, I read really News Twenty Four comments, and I must say, people seem to like him. So. I mean, it's I a just, great source of data. That's I, where I do all my research as well. Actually, I read the replies to his tweets, man, yeah. and there's a, and there's always that one that's the most favorited. I never voted DA, but you're doing a good job. <laughs> <laughs> right, can we land in the last five minutes with a bit of comedy? When you got five minutes? Well, we no, okay, can I just ask one more question? Yeah. So based on, if you had to make, or based on your model, I don't yeah. want to use the word prediction, etc. Yeah. but Cyril wins or NDZ wins, yeah. how does 2019 look? Okay. Um, let's say Cyril wins. Uh, EFF inroads, uh, small DA inroads, uh, tight election in Gauteng, Maybe DA, EFF, and a collection of other smaller parties take it in a coalition. Nationally, the ANC's high 50s. NDZ wins. Um, bigger inroads for the DA. Uh, similar inroads for the EFF. Um, and ANC probably nationally. 55, 54. But they don't lose their majority in no, Parliament. No, I don't think so. No, no Look, these are, these are best cases, guys, right? So, like, sure. we, we still need to see a lot of, we still need to see a lot of polling and see our voters react. Um, there's definitely a, a bit of a swing away from the ANC. We don't know exactly where it is yet. We don't know exactly who it is yet. We don't know how big it is. We need more data. Um, but the ANC is losing, losing votes. Um, and rationally, the first place where it's really going to hurt is Houting. And I think that's, that's what I'm comfortable Call it predicting, but that's what I'm comfortable predicting. So, any any splits if NDZ wins, like significant ones, or uh, I mean, who knows? Yeah, who knows, right? So, I think I think the risk is higher yeah. if NDZ wins. I think then there's a bigger chance that the SACP. So, gets... why don't people want it to win? If you don't want the NC to govern, you would want it to win, right? So, yeah, well, it's kind of like asking the Titanic to hit the iceberg and hoping you'll be able to patch the hole before you sink. That's why they don't want it to win, Ramon. That's that's the reason. I I get why you would want it to happen. Because you hit the iceberg. If you can patch that hole, then uh, you've 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 seen the danger and survived. Yeah. 
uh, and you're better off on no, other but the side. The whole was created by the communists, probably <laughs> Gordon and those. Like, the Guptas and the corruption, yeah, I get it, but they stole 100 billion rand. Ten yeah. percent I mean, of GDP look, over five years. I mean, come on, it's not you, like huge. If you had to tee this up as the worst case scenario electorally for the ANC, you'd have to say the ANC rallies around Jacob Zuma earlier this year, right, with this motion of no confidence thing, and just yes. rallies around Jacob Zuma. Then the ANC supports the mini Zuma um, in Nazrek. Um, and keeps Zuma as president until 2019. The mini Zuma is the presidential candidate. Yeah. The whatever the the various state capture allegations continue, and the status quo is entrenched. That is that is electorally the worst case scenario. So, if well, you're an anti hater, then us. then that's that's possibly I, I would say the the scenario that you that mm, you would want, want to, to see from out, an electoral yeah. perspective. But um, is it good for the country? Um, I, I think that's... Well, that's not, not voting is good for the country, in my opinion. <laughs> All right, fine. Now that you've brought up comedy. Um, <laughs> um, you were in the... This is nothing to do with Africa. If uh, you got any more comments, you'll, you'll contact uh, Darby on Twitter. But uh, you were in the US when uh, Donald Trump won that election. Yes. Uh, you were at Yale, of all places, which is... Uh, <laughs> Deep, deep center of American liberalism. Um, and I use that in the American sense of the word. Um, tell us a bit about that. <laughs> okay. So firstly, I will say that the election night in America was, um, completely shocking and fascinating. So I, sadly, my model does not uh, uh, predict American elections and I would have loved to have done that, but I was watching the results very, very closely. Um, and there was a point on, uh, you know, kind of on the night in America, when about 70% or so of the Florida votes came in very early and Donald Trump was in the lead and it was looking like it was going to win Florida. And then about 10% of the Michigan vote was in and it was looking like it was just going to like, like sweep the Midwest where everyone just like realized this thing is really, really close and he could actually win. And I was, I was actually in a room with a, with a bunch of very, very liberal, um, Yale students at the time and some of them, I literally started crying um, during that process um, when they came to that realization. So I, I think, you know, <laughs> um, it is a very emotional topic for a lot of people in America. And I saw that firsthand, you know, um, in, in Yale, they, um, they did uh, postpone exams for a while and so on after the election. Um, so it was, it was a lot of people um, found it quite shocking. Um, it, it was quite shocking um, just from a, from a quantitative perspective. For me, it was quite mm. shocking. Like I did not anticipate that. Was it that. just, was it, you know, that it often comes up as a meme now that Huffington post 98%, you yeah. know, Hillary yeah. 1.9% or 8% or whatever it was, Donald Trump. Um, that was the chance that he had. I don't know, uh, two hours before the the day. Yeah. Um, it was it that? Was it you know when you tell people this is going to happen and the complete opposite happens? Was it was it more that or was it just the candidate? It, no, look, I think it, I think it's that. Um, and there's a really interesting conversation to be had about how the data thing got that wrong. But anyway, so um, that that that's part of it. It's just this total ex- like misallocation of expectations, right? Um. But the other thing about America right now that, that was fascinating to me being at Yale for a while is that it really is true that people are living in ideological bubbles in the United States now. So the country is more geographically and ideologically divided than it's ever been before. Um, you know, there was this study done about people on Facebook and their friends and, and how yeah. ideologically aligned they are and so well, on. Well, Facebook's driving it as well because yeah. the algorithm picks exactly. according to your, your but bias. The same, the same is for Twitter. The same is for the news you follow. If you're a conservative, you watch Fox. If you're a liberal, you watch MSNBC, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So th- they have these like self-reinforcing bubbles, which I think um, amplified that uh, to, to a great extent. Uh, yeah. So 
fascinating. Yeah. Right. So I mean, so you basically, basically, ANC wins twenty nineteen, irrespective of who wins the elective conference. The most likely, yes. yeah, most likely. We're not making predictions here. Plus just, minus DA in Gauteng. Yeah. So basically, what we've been known, what we've done all along for like five years now. Yeah, but Ramon, I, I disagree with your tone a little bit, actually. Like, yeah. I, 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 I don't think, I don't think <laughs> that I is a. I haven't known that for five years. Yeah, I don't think that's a, an insignificant outcome. So I think we're we're looking at a situation where a party that has been completely dominant in our politics for the last what twenty years now, twenty three years, um, is actually looking at very significant disintegration of its support base, um, and if the Gauteng does go to a opposition coalition, you're looking at what, 60% or 70% of the GDP being run by um, not the ANC. Um, so that's not an insignificant development. And I think the, I think the long-term trajectory beyond 2019, if you look at the local government election in 2021, for example, I think that's going to be a wild ride. I think, I think that's going to be the breakthrough election where um, you know, the, the opposition makes significant inroads all across the, the country. Um, so, so beyond 2019, I think the, the road is really difficult for the ANC um, to maintain 50% um, if, if we continue at, at the current trajectory. Um, and if we don't, if the, if the ANC doesn't turn around its, its internal institutions, because that's at the end of the day, actually what's driving this. It's not just Zuma. It's the, it's the internal democratic institutions in the party that, that have been compromised. By Tavon Becky, yeah. And, and Jacob Zuma just, <laughs> kept, uh, just took on, no, he did. Tomobeki is centralized power, and Jacob Zuma mm. just used it against him. Very simple. We are going but, off at a tangent. Yeah, but the problem is, okay, we're here for another two minutes. The problem is there's no one within the ANC at the moment who, who is ruthless enough to get those reforms through, those really, really necessary reforms for the ANC to survive another 20, 30 years in its current It's possible that civil reforms could do it. I think Jacob Zuma could do it. You have way too much faith in this man. I don't have faith in him at all. But we know what he's like. He's wily. He's crafty. He's a brilliant strategist. And he only cares about himself. And for him to like do... Like any good politician. For him, Why is this an issue? For him to A lot do, of politicians only care about themselves. That's fine. And if what you is the buy point, that... What is the point of winning an election to get re-elected? Yes, true story. But the point is, is it's how you go about getting re-elected. And if you buy that he is completely in it for himself, which his actions seem to reflect, and every appointment he makes benefits himself and never the country. It's not even like, okay, Sean Abrams is good for him, but also good for the country because he, he's very good at crime fighting. He just doesn't fight crime that involves Jacob Zuma. No, it doesn't work that way. All the public protector do. is good for him, but also for the – none of his appointments are good for both. The point is, is that Cyril Ramaphosa might be able to, and all other people, might be able to create a situation in which they can appoint people who, yes, benefit them ultimately, but have some side benefit for the country. That's almost all politics Listen, in the world. The, the day the ANC prosecutes one of their own is the day they'll believe you. But Cyril, I have a feeling, or NDZ will not prosecute one of their own unless they already left the plantation and they're on their own. The ANC never turns on itself. Yeah, might be right. Uh, can't really disagree with that, which is why you, <laughs> you have to follow uh, what Darby's saying. We're going to call it a day, even though Ramon is in huge disagreement. I'm just getting warmed. I'm uh, just getting warmed up. To sure, be sure. But um, well, Darby, I mean, it was great to finally meet you. Thank you, uh, guys. For, for those on Twitter, he's actually a lot taller than he appears on there. Yes, because Twitter doesn't have height measurements. <laughs> <laughs> no, just length. Yeah. All right. So. <laughs> Which Dar is important. At Darby Scott, uh, you can find him on there. 
Uh, always giving very good insight into our politics and well, our only elections. Every time there's a by-election, oh, he doesn't tweet about anything else. Like, <laughs> like you forget that you follow him, and you're like, oh wait, there must be a by-election because Darby says something with numbers. <laughs> On message in mass over time, my friend. There you go. Uh, we'll Marketing. Be coached by the same people. Yeah. Hundred um, percent. Speaking of which, we should get him in studio, right? We shall. That uh, is this the last podcast of the year? I don't know. We're still deciding. We haven't decided. This might be the last podcast for the year. If we get at least ten emails, we'll do another one. Yeah, we'll consider one more. Um, but other than that, if we don't uh, chat to you again, or if you don't hear from us again, have a very good. What are we calling it? Holiday season. Merry Christmas. <laughs> we allowed to say Merry Christmas. The war on Christmas, Ramon. Oh, Jesus loves to say Merry Christmas, Jonathan. Sure. It's, your, it's your festival. I wish you a Merry I'm not, I'm not Catholic. Well, uh, you know. I'm not, or you're not going like, to semi-celebrate I'm, I'm half Arab. <laughs> this, is, this is like apostasy. Yeah, infidels. All right. Well, whatever you celebrate, enjoy it. And uh, have a good time. And be safe. And, and hopefully there's a lot of bloodshed at the anti-electoral conference. I would love to see Nazrek just covered. Yeah, Metaphorically and literally. Oh God! All right, I'm going to cut you off now. No more, no more literal blood. Thank you for spending your year with us. We really appreciate it. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Renegade underscore Reports. Ramon is at Roman Kavanagh. I'm at Jonathan underscore Wit. If you like the show, we've already told Darby at Darby Skultz. If you like the show, you can support us on Patreon. Thanks so much. Catch you next time. Cheers. This is cliffcentral.com.